So I hated life. That's the way he ends it. That's it. Welcome to the journey. <laughs> so this book, if you missed last week, we're, uh, we're jumping into this book called Ecclesiastes. And it's an interesting book for lots of reasons, but most of it because of that. Like that's kind of his, uh, his thesis that's it's going to be this refrain over and over again as he is, uh, is, is really um, sharing with us um, kind of the summation of a, of a lifelong experiment the man who had it all, no one told him no for anything, um, says, hey, let me, like, let me figure out what life's about. I'm going to try it, whatever it is. So anything you aspire to, anything you dream about, hope for, long for, he just went and got it, tried it. And then, as we saw last week, like, the intro says, none of it worked. One commentator said, like, this is, this is a gift from a man who was able to gl- climb the golden ladder of success, get all the way to the top, and, and look over the edge and realize there's nothing there. But in God's goodness, he allows him to, to climb back down and lean over to us and yell down, there's nothing up here. Don't, don't spend your life thinking that this is the pinnacle or this is the ultimate fulfillment. Rather, let, let me tell you what life's about. And so... Uh, he ends it, like, spoiler alert, we're not trying to trick you, and, and, you know, like, he ends it by saying what life's about is fearing God, doing what he says. Like, that's what you get, like, that's what life boils down to. But most of us aren't content with just hearing that once. It's like, yeah, yeah, I mean, I know it's about God, but, like, this stuff, like, I, I, need, I need this, or, I, like, I'd really like to try that, right? Like, there's that country song that says money can't buy happiness, but, you're like, but it can buy you a boat, right? You're like, that's, we're all kind of like that. We're like, I mean, I know, but, I mean, I like to try, you know? Like, I know that that person who has everything is still ultimately really unhappy. I've seen the, the, the celebrity after celebrity, like, go off the cliff of crazy, Clearly, it didn't work for them, but I'd like to try, right? Like, that's kind of our heart posture. And so he knows that just this blanket statement of, hey, life's, like, without God, life doesn't make any sense. Without God, life won't be fulfilling. He knows that's not good enough. So he's actually going to walk us through each thing. So that's what the, the rest of Ecclesiastes is. Last week was kind of an intro. Hey, everything under the sun is vanity. It's fleeting. It's, 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 it's like a vapor. It's like chasing after the wind. It seems to have substance, but when you try to grab it, it just, it just goes right between your fingers. Uh, and so that was his intro. Now he's going to walk us through each particular thing, sort of like saying, okay, hey, you think that that, that path will lead you to success, that that path will make you fulfilled? Let's just go. Let's go take a look. Oh, you want that one? I went there too. Let's go take a look. And he just walks us by the hand down these paths. And so he's going to do wisdom. He's going to do pleasure. He's going to do education. He's going to do, uh, you know, relationships. He's going to do it all. Money. Like, he's going to try it all. Property. Like, building an empire. Like, all of it. Oh, you think that? Let me, let me just show you. And so the first stop along the way is wisdom. Wisdom. That's what we're going to look at today. And it's an interesting first stop because most of us don't just long for wisdom, do we? Like, we long for pleasure. We long for comfort. We long for approval, but most of us don't just long for wisdom. What leads us to want wisdom is those other things, actually, right? We actually want more money. We want more pleasure. We want more comfort. We want more time. So we look to wisdom to get more of those things, right? So it's this sort of indirect search. We want more out of life, so let me, let me follow those who are wise to, to try to get more. But wisdom seems to be more of a means than it is an end. But that's the first place he goes. And, and he's uniquely suited for this because, as we, as we briefly mentioned last week, he was, he was gifted by God this incredible gift of wisdom. And so 
Um, we see uh, that, that he says, listen, I, I, I was king. Verse 12, I, the preacher, the one who's speaking. We said last week there's a preacher and then there's kind of an author or a narrator. He says, I, the preacher, the one who's, who's sharing this knowledge, have been king over Israel in Jerusalem. That is Solomon's position. And I think that's where he's, he's speaking from first. We're going to see that I think he's going to look at wisdom. My, my um, interpretation of this, the way we're going to look at it today, not all commentators agree, uh, but my thought is that initially he's going to look at wisdom from a corporate standpoint, from a national standpoint. He's the king. He's going to look at, uh, okay, I can, like, let, me, let me try to fix this country that I'm running. And then he's going to shift later to just, okay, that didn't work, spoiler alert, but so let me just try to just live wisely myself. Maybe it's not about the country, but maybe I just try to live wisely for me, and maybe that will lead to it. And so he's going to look at it from both those perspectives. But when he comes as the, as the king over Israel, he says, I applied my heart to, to seek and to search out by wisdom, all that is done under heaven. It's an unhappy business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. Okay, so, so again, Solomon says, okay, I'm, gonna, I'm king. Let me try to run this place well. Let me try to run this place well. And he is uniquely positioned to do what he said and seek and search out by wisdom. God gave him a discerning heart. I want to I take you back. This is important for the story to the moment when, when um, Solomon was, was, was made king and had this incredible encounter with God. It's from 1 Kings 3. You can flip there if you want or I'll have it on the screen. I want to read this short story. This is about Solomon as a young man taking his father's throne. His father was King David, whom you're likely familiar with. We, we introed a little bit last week. But it says this, at Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream by night, and God said, ask, what, what, what should I give you? Okay, he says, what do you want? Wait, what is, like, you're about to be king of my, 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 my people. What, what, do you, what do you want? What, what can I give you? And Solomon said, man, you've shown great and steadfast love to your servant David, my father, because he walked before you in faithfulness and in righteousness and in uprightness of heart toward you. And you have kept for him this great and steadfast love and have given him a son to sit on his throne this day. And now, O oh Lord, my God, you've made your servant king in place of David, my father. So there's, there's a lot of humility in this, right? He says, although I am but a little child, I don't know, I don't know how to go out or come in. He's like, listen, I, I'm just a spoiled young dude. Like, I, I, don't, I don't know. I haven't lived much life yet. And your servant is in the midst of, of your people whom you have chosen, a great people, too many to be numbered or counted for multitude. He says, I don't even know what I'm doing, and you've given me, you've given me like control over this vast kingdom that we can't even count. So therefore, give your servant an understanding mind to govern your people. Please ask for wisdom, that I may discern between good and evil, for who is able to govern this, your great people? So he's saying, I clearly don't know what I'm doing. I'm going to need wisdom. Would you grant me that? Like That's what I'm going to need. As I look at this task you laid out before me, Lord, I need wisdom. Well, it pleased the Lord that Solomon had asked this. And God said to him, because you've asked this, and you haven't asked for yourself to have long life or riches or the life of your enemies, but you've asked for yourself an understanding to discern what is right, behold, I now... Do according to your word. So because you asked for wisdom, you didn't ask for a long life or your enemy's heads on a platter or, you know, riches, I'm going to give you what you asked for. And I'm going to give you such a wise and discerning mind that none like you has been before and none like you shall arise after. I give you also what you have not asked, both riches and honor, so that no other king shall compare with you all your days. And if you walk in my ways, God says, okay, you're going to get wisdom. And because you asked that and not these other things, I'm going to give you those other things too. 
And it's going to be so much so. And, and remember, the Lord had, had said, I'm going to set you apart as my people. Way back in Exodus, that we, we, we started this morning, our call to worship, we, we've sang about him bringing his people out. Way back then, he said, listen, I'm going to make you a people that are going to be like a city set on a hill. Right? I'm going to do a work with, with, with you as my people and me as your God so much that the rest of the world will take note that, oh my, that like, this is the true God. Because God is moving, like God is working in, in a way that clearly shows like he's king. And so he says, Solomon, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make you so wise, so successful, so rich, so honorable that you won't, like there's no comparison before you and there'll be nobody who will rise to that greatness afterwards. And there's stories that, that that actually happened. The Queen of Sheba travels for hundreds of miles to come and behold this kingdom of Solomon. And so, so God gives that, right? And, and he says, this is going to be incomparable in history. And then he says, if you walk in my ways, keeping my statutes and my commandments as your father David walked, then I will lengthen your days as well. So, so this is the story, and, and this is how his kingdom starts. And right after that, if you read that story in 2 Kings, right after that is whenever you have the two prostitutes that each have a child and one dies. It's, it's a fairly famous story. Uh, they each have a child, one dies, and, and you know, the woman rolls over on her kiddo. It's a crazy story. But, and and realizes he's dead, and, and so she, she, she switches the kids in the night. And then they wake up, and they have this dispute. Whose kid is it, right? Who, and and the, the one is just trying to trick the other, and, and she's saying, no, like, I, that's my kid. I can tell. Like, this, this child that she placed under me that is, is now dead, that's, that wasn't my kid. And so, so they come before the king, settle this matter. And Solomon goes, all right, you, you say that's your kid, you say it's your kid, your kid one of your kids died, Let's bring me a sword. We got one kid, we got two women, bring me a sword. We'll cut, we'll cut them in half. Each of you going to have a half. And the one who's really the mama goes, no, 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 you, she can have it. She can have it. Uh, don't, don't kill the child. Solomon goes, okay. Get her out of here. That's the mom. Give her the baby. Right? And it's this incredible moment of wisdom. And, and that story begins to tell everybody, like, this begins to display Solomon is a wise king. Even as a young man, they're like, oh, this guy knows what's going on. And so his wisdom is there from a young age. And so when he's taking the, 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 this posture right here, I think this is earlier in his life. I think this is earlier in his reign when he writes uh, or, or experiences this part of Ecclesiastes that he's writing about. And so he says, hey, listen, I'm the pre I've, I've been the, the king over Israel and Jerusalem, and I, and I decided to... to Seek and search out by wisdom, back in Ecclesiastes now, all that's been done under heaven. So I, I picture this. He's like, okay, I got this kingdom, and the Lord's done good things. And my father David has done good things. The kingdom is in, is in pretty good shape, but there's still a lot of junk. There's still a lot of stuff, right? So let me figure out how to, to lead well. He really genuinely tries. He sets his heart to it. He's going to make this nation better. I almost said great again. That would be weird. Uh, that's not... It wasn't his motto. But, but imagine that. Take that thought, though, and imagine that you all of a sudden get elected to be the governor of Illinois tomorrow. Like, just by all, just some weird thing. We all write your name in or something, right? And you're, and you're like, oh, my, like, you didn't sign up for that job, but you have thoughts, don't you? You're like, yeah, I mean, I got some ideas. Like, I don't even care about politics, but goodness, these taxes, right? Or, or you're just like, Can I, let me just work on the DMV. Let me just work that out. Like, like, like I just got thoughts, right? You, you have thoughts because it's a mess, right? So, so he's just, he, he's got this nation. It's been handed to him. <clears throat> and, and he's going to try. He's going to try to make it the best that he can. He's going to apply his wisdom to try to um, make, like, <laughs> humanity not so terrible, Okay? Now, you think about it. We, we all kind of, like, we, we do this within our sphere of influence, right? We think that, okay, there's, there's stuff that's broken. There's stuff that's not operating well. 
if I just give them some information, surely they'll stop. I, I think I could fix the stupid if I just share with them these thoughts. You don't know it, but you had these thoughts. It doesn't matter what your sphere of influence is, right? You, you, you like take your home, right? Those of you who have kids, right? There's stuff that happens in your house, and you're like, if you like, don't you see this? This is making this terrible for everybody. Okay, so my house, uh, it's hard to get kids to care about their room in general, right? It's just a mess all the time. So let me like, that's big and abstract. Clean your room. So. Let's just narrow it down even closer. For me, it's laundry. This is my thing, okay? Laundry, we have a big family, okay? We have a lot of laundry. So what, here's, this is my, I claimed it. I love it. I like to be productive. I like to see that I've been productive. Let me just tell you, there's not a lot of discernible progress over time in ministry. It's hard for me to see what the Lord's doing here. So I need little victories where I can see I've visibly done something. So I'm like, hey, let me do laundry. Babe's like, Riley's like, are you sure? And I'm like, yeah, really, let me handle this. So for us, one load a day. I got a routine. I start it in the morning, right? Uh, start it and switch it. Start it when I, you know, go down to work out in theory when I do that and then switch it and then I bring it back up at the end of the day, the, the day and then we'll sort it out. And, and, and here, that's what happens. We do that every day. Everybody just has their yesterday outfit to put away. So I'll wash it, I'll dry it, and I'll sort it. Here you go, kids. You just have what you wore yesterday. Now I have little girls. So wearing one thing is evidently an unreasonable idea for them. They like to wear four or five things every day, but nonetheless. But, okay, so it seems to work. Let me just explain this to you, because they don't like when, I, when we hand them a whole pile of laundry. That's overwhelming, right? Because a whole basket full of clothes is one thing, but when it's little people's clothes, it's so many, <laughs> right? Like I could fold a basket of, of towels in like five minutes, but all those little bitty clothes, it's terrible, Right, so they don't like when I hand them that. So I'm just I'm, I'm saying, if you'll take your dirty clothes and put them in in this basket, Daddy'll take them down and wash them and dry them, and then you know, and, and it's easy. It's just one outfit per day. It makes sense in my mind. It doesn't make sense in their mind, or they just don't care, right? Because I go into their room and there's this pile of laundry. And I'm like, are these dirty? Yeah. Why are they there? Because now I'm going to wash that, and you're going to get a pile of stuff to put away. You don't want the pile of stuff to put away, do you? So if you take everything that you put in, put it. And I spin out, right? I think if you just have this information, you won't do this anymore. You know it's true. It happens in your family all the time. This was true at Aldi. When I went to work there, I took over a store that had really bad perishable loss. Perishables like your stuff that goes bad. You got produce, you got bread, um, and, and, and those are, those are your, your biggest ones. And so they, they had really hard num- like they had a hard time um, meeting those numbers. So I went looking, I'm going to figure out what's wrong. I'm, one of the things I realized, there was a lot, but one of the things I realized right off the bat is rotation is an issue. Those of you who've been in retail, you know you got like some, some places that say FIFO, first in, first out, right? You have to, whatever came in first, you need to sell that before the other stuff, right? It makes sense. And I think most of us are just thinking about it when we take the, the produce out of the fridge, out of the cooler in the back, and put it on the table, right? I don't want to put what I just took out of the back on top of what's already been on the table all day. That's a bad idea, just so you know. You, you need to rotate that stuff, right? It's been on the table all day. Let me lift that up. Let me put the new underneath. Set that there, right? You're going to pick through it and find what you want anyway, but that's a whole other deal. We've got to try. We don't want to bury the old stuff. It's going to go bad, okay? But it's not just that. What I realize is it's not just when you go on the table. It actually has to do back with the pallets in the back room. So here's what I would find. Um, my, my, my people who actually were on shift managers were the ones usually doing produce. I would come in and I would be like, okay, those green, that box of green peppers looks like, like I was off yesterday. And the day before, I left two boxes of green peppers right there. And there are green peppers out there. Why did, like, so I'd pull up the video. Sure enough, what they do? Well, here's the deal. When a truck driver comes in, he doesn't care about your cooler organization. He's just dropping the new pallets right there. So you've got to move the new pallet before you can get to the old pallet. 
So what's easier? Well, I'm just going to take the new palette out and put those green peppers out. And then I would make them organize it, and they would set the new peppers on top of the old peppers, and I'm like, those peppers are going to go bad. I'm taking them out of your paycheck. Like, because even though they're in a cooler, y'all know it's still good. Like, you ever find out you bought, like, you were going to cook something with butternut squash because you saw it on, you know, Pinterest? And you realize your family doesn't want that, and so you never cook it, and then you find it in your drawer. It's been in your fridge, but it still went bad, right? It may have taken six weeks, still goes bad. So you got to rotate that stuff. So I'd be like, okay, explain it to them. This is how this operates. But when I was off work, if I wasn't there, like, babysitting them, they still didn't do it. Okay? So we all get this. So Solomon looks at this whole kingdom. I'm, I'm, I'm sharing with you juvenile and small examples to say, you just scale this up. And this is what he's got, dealing with a whole nation of people. Okay? We want to we talk about our, our politicians. We want to talk about our people. Like, listen, it's a mess out there. What's his conclusion? He goes, listen, it's an unhappy business that God's given people to be busy with. He says, verse 14, I've seen everything that's done under the sun. And behold, all of its vanity, it's a striving after the wind. So people are trying. It, it, you, it, but here's what he says, verse 15. What's crooked cannot be made straight. What's lacking can't be counted. I think we might say you can't fix stupid. It's a similar proverb. It's like, that's maybe a little harsh. I think what he's actually saying, though, is like, what's crooked can't be made straight. The problem with people, when you look at the evil in the world, when you look at people harming people, people hurting one another, people taking from each other, people tearing each other down, people aborting babies, people doing all of this evil stuff. It's not about logic. There's a heart issue. There's a sin issue. It's not as simple as just giving them the right information and expecting that they, they will then figure it out, right? The enlightenment didn't work, right? Like we were told people just need the right information, and then they'll start acting right. Well, it doesn't work. It may fix some things, but it ends up still being messed up. He's saying what's, what's crooked can't be made straight. What's, what's lacking can't be counted. Like, it's not, it's not there. We can't expect something out of people that they don't actually possess. That's the ability to, to, you know, actually live rightly. So he goes, he goes to the other side. He goes, all right, verse 16, I said in my heart, all right, I've acquired great wisdom, surpassing all that's uh, were over Jerusalem before me, and my heart has great experience of wisdom and knowledge. And I applied my heart to know <clears throat> to wisdom and to know madness and folly. I perceived that this is also what is striving after the wind. So he goes, okay, maybe, maybe it wasn't just about giving them the right information. Maybe I need to start by looking at madness and folly. Maybe I need to start examining what went wrong with them in the first place. So now we have pop psychology, right? Now we're going to look at like, what's wrong with society, what's going on, what drove us to be the way that we are. So let, me, let, me look, let me look at madness and folly. Like, why are people crazy? They're probably not just crazy because they're crazy. Probably something made them crazy. Let me look back there. Let me, let me rewind the tape of their life. Like, there's abuse there. There's broken systems. There's, there's all these things there. Let, let, me, let me look at that. Seems like a, a reasonable idea. Maybe I can fix it that way. Let me go back to the source of the problem. Maybe I can fix it that way. Seems like a good idea, right? He says, nope, I found this is also a striving after the wind. Right? He, ah, he goes, nope, it's, it's, it's not. Verse 18, he goes, uh, for much wisdom is much vexation. Right? Made his head hurt. He's going, ah, I mean, I've learned all these things. There, there is a reason that people are the way they are. Like, there is systems and, and, and poverty and, 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 and history that leads people to act the way they do in corporate ways and in collective ways. That, that, that's absolutely true. But 
Just knowing it didn't fix them. Just giving them the right information didn't fix them. Just telling them how they could be successful didn't make them successful. There's something else going on. There's something else broken. He says, I got more wisdom, but it, it just pretzeled my head up like more vexation. And it made him sad. For he who increases in knowledge increases in sorrow. This is, listen, he said it last week. There's nothing new under the sun. It just takes a different flavor, a different turn, a different generation, tries their own thing. For us today, this is the modern-day attempt at justice, right? You think about it. Like, we have people who are seeing things that are rightly wrong with the world, okay? There, there is 100%, like, there is still racism in the world. We see that, so what are we going to do about it? Right? They're trying to figure things out, right? People see things that are, are, are rightly wrong in the world. They see... Uh, they, you know, they see these, these um, instances of some police treating people badly and ended up killing them, right? Some police, but okay, what, they're going to try to figure this out. Let me sort this out. So their logic takes them to go, you know what? We need to get rid of the police. Let's defund them. And the rest of us are going, that's a bad idea. You're going to regret that, right? And sure enough, what happens when crime comes and they're the victim? They need somebody to call. Right? I don't know if you followed these little, like, you know, no police zones. It, it didn't go well for them. Why? Because th there's no logic there. Like, it, it, it might seem like it's going to, uh, I don't know why she thinks she needs to be involved in my sermons. i got to turn her off. Um, Siri just pops up all of a sudden. I didn't say her name. You, I don't know. But, like, that, that's an example, right? So, okay, we're going we're to defund the police, but then what happens whenever you're the victim? You, you wish they were there. Think, think about it this way. We have, we have issues of sexuality. Sexuality is absolutely broken, and, and it's perverted, and, and there are a lot of people who are struggling. The amount of people who have been harmed and molested, in, like, sexually is more than any of us want to acknowledge, right? The amount of confusion around sexuality is significant. So... People legitimately struggle for different reasons. So wisdom, right, or people's attempt at wisdom says, okay, well, let's just, let's just let people do what they want. Let's just take off all restrictions, right? Let, let's just, let's just have no longer have an absolute. See, we thought the enlightenment would, would fix us, just, just get the right amount of information in front of people, right? But that didn't, so then we moved on to postmodernism, right, where, where there's no real absolute truth. Everybody can just have their own truth. That seems reasonable, if I let you have your truth, you let me have my truth, we, we, there's no conflict there. We're good. We'll just get along, right? But, all right, we keep carrying that out. Now, what if your truth doesn't like my truth? What if your truth says that my truth is oppressive? Now you have a problem with my truth, and now I'm no longer to have, allowed to have my truth. You see how you get a, head, you get a headache? <laughs> this is Solomon. He's like, ah, I, like, I tried this, I tried this. It, it, it doesn't work, right? And so we're like, okay, everybody just... You know, if you want to do that, you want to live that way, you want to move within the, the okay, just as long as you do that and it's not affecting us, go ahead, right? But does it make any sense? Does it make, it, it, like there's no logic there. It doesn't fix anything. Chad was telling me about a story from a, a few years ago. I think it was University of, of Michigan. Like they started putting out these, allowing students to choose uh, their pronoun. What do you want to be called? Okay. Somebody got a high five for that idea, right? Because they don't, like, let's not make anybody mad. They have these ideas. Let, let's call them what they want to be called. Somebody got a high five for that. Seemed like a good idea. We're progressing. 
some kid, who may or may not be my hero, decided that what he wanted to be called, because you can fill it in, it's not just him, her, they, like, he, there's like an other. He put his majesty. <laughs> That's my boy. I like, I like that guy. And they call him the office, like, you can't do this. Why not? You're making a mockery. So are you. Like, I don't know what he said, but that's what I would have said. Like, it doesn't work. There's a lawsuit. He wins. Of course he wins. They open the door. This is nonsense. It doesn't work, right? This is like, you try to fix one problem, you just create another. Like, there is no making these things straight. They're crooked by nature. What does that mean? They're sinful by nature. We are a broken people. The issue is not legislation. We cannot legislate morality. It has never worked, and it won't work. The issue is sin. All of this points us to the need for something greater, right? Like, all of this points us to its vanity. It's fleeting. It can't actually work. Like, you can give people the right information. Proverbs is full of these. Like, it's this idea of, hey, wisdom's calling out in the street for anybody who would hear. Come here. You can get wisdom. It's free. But people don't. They keep chasing their foolish ways. Like, you can't, you can't make them have the right information and act on it. it. It doesn't work that way. So all of this points us to this idea, hey, listen, politicians, they have a purpose. I don't mean to say, like, this idea of, that's why I don't use meaningless as much. I think it has it, like, a lot of the vanity will be translated meaningless. But I think that's, that's dangerous because that makes it sound like it has zero impact. I think the idea of vanity being fleeting and, and quickly lost and, and without substance, that's, that's clear because there, there, are, there are purposes to these things. You take politics, for example. Like, there are, there are, like they have a purpose. God has put them, he's put systems of, of structure and civic authority in place so that we all don't kill each other. Right? Like, God realizes that we need some structure. We need laws. So he puts them in place. But, but here's the deal. God's not... He's not confused about what they're going to accomplish. He knows that they're there to restrain evil at best and allow people to flourish and hear the gospel at most. So, so yeah, like we would love, man, wouldn't we love to have a politician like Solomon? We just love a little logic. He's the smartest guy ever. Like, wouldn't you like for him to be your, your like, we'd vote for, Paul, for Solomon. Like, dude, he, like, he gets it. He's smart. Everybody in the room listens to him, and they're like, yeah, I get like, on the left, on the right, they're like, yeah, that guy makes sense. Like, we wish that our politicians were actually seeking wisdom and not just power and influence for themselves, don't we? It's just me. Like, I wish, but they only go so far, right? They can only take it so far. Solomon tried. He's a good leader. He's the wisest king ever, and he goes, I tried, but you can't straighten out what's crooked. You can't count what's lacking. It, it, it's not there. It won't happen. We can't have a perfect people because there's a bigger issue. The bigger issue is one that a bigger leader, a bigger savior, a bigger God is going to have to handle. See, someone wants to take you to these dark places so you realize that life can't give you what you're longing for so that you can realize that Jesus is the only one who can so he's taking us to this place, right? Something else is needed. A Messiah, right? Like he's reminding the people of Israel, don't, don't, don't put your trust in your own reason. Don't put your trust in your own ideas because they won't actually bring the change that you hope that they would bring. Every generation has thought, we looked at this last week, thought, man, we're going to figure it out. We got this. Generation comes, a generation goes, a generation comes, a generation goes. The reminder, the, 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 the thing that Solomon wants us to see 
is, oh, we need something that transcends this. We need someone who transcends this. We need someone who is beyond this world. So that's where Jesus comes in. He's put a plan in place. Jesus has a plan to bring reformation. He has a plan to bring redemption. But he hasn't put his, like his plan doesn't involve politicians. It's not, it, it, it's not political. It's not material in nature. His money is on, guess what? Guess who? The church. Jesus has a plan to straighten out what's crooked. He's going to fix this world that's broken, that's so jacked up, that, that, that gives Solomon a headache. Jesus goes, yeah, yeah, I get it, but I'm going to fix it. I'm making all things new. How's he going to do it? Through the church. It's anticlimactic, isn't it? And you're like, well, I mean, we're kind of dumb too. Like, I don't think we're going to figure it out. But what does he say? Ephesians 3. This is an incredible passage. Verse 8 through 9 says this. To me, Paul is saying, to the very least of all the saints, this grace was given. He's been sent out to the Gentiles to preach the unsearchable riches of Christ, to bring to light for everyone who, uh, what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages of God, who created all things so that through the church the manifold wisdom of God. Okay, so he's saying, I've been sent by God to preach this incredible message. The world's divided, Jew and Gentile, right? The world is at tension with one another. The powers are oppressing people, right? Like all of that's happening. And Paul says, I've been given this task to go and preach to the Gentiles so that they can hear the, the word of salvation. And by this, so that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might be known to the rulers and authorities in, heavy, in heavenly places. This was according to their eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord. This was God's plan from the beginning. The church. He has no pretense that our next president is going to fix America and, and lead us into the promised land. God's not confused by that. It's not, like, he's, he's not. Spoiler alert, she's not, whoever it is. So you just need to go ahead and adjust your expectations. And, and, but, but that doesn't mean that God doesn't care. He cares deeply about what's going on in our world. And his money is on the church. That's huge. You're like, okay, really, Jordan? Like, just so everybody can come sing four or five songs and listen to a sermon? Like, is that, well, no, it's not about the church service so much. It's about this is what puts the rest of history, the rest of our existence into perspective. This is what gives meaning to the meaningless. Because it's about fast-forwarding to the end and realizing this life is meaningless. This, this life is transient. This life is futile. This, this life is like a vapor. We're here for a moment, it says, and, and then we're gone. Just like the breath that comes out on a, on a cold day. You see it for just a moment and then it's gone. That's what our life is like. So realizing, okay, this is not permanent. There's something beyond this. We will live forever somewhere. And God has a plan for that. And, and that's what God has his eye on. This deal, he's preserving it. That's why he calls us to be salt and light. Salt is a preservative. Keeps it from going completely rotten before it can be used. We're preserving it. We're, we're holding this world where it is so that he can, uh, and the only reason he hasn't done, come back and, and made this whole thing new yet is, is because he's given more and more people the chance to repent. He, he's allowing his message to go forward so that everybody who hears it has a chance to repent. Peter says, no, no, don't think that God's just slow like we're slow, like he just hasn't got around to it yet. No, his kindness in waiting is meant to lead us to repentance. He's giving all of us a chance to hear the gospel. As we hear the gospel, we enter the kingdom. We realize, oh, this is the point of our existence, it's the kingdom. So whatever happens here is about bringing glory to God. So that's what my life 
That's the existence, is the church. The church will live on into eternity. The church will be his people into eternity. And that gives meaning and purpose to the stuff that we suffer through here. That's going to be a refrain that keeps going through Ecclesiastes. So I want to, I want to move on um, to, to just a, a, um, a little bit in the, in the next chapter. But here's, here's how he wraps that up. I think as you're looking at corporate or, or national wisdom, he's saying, listen, it has value. We're going to see in the next chapter. Wisdom has value. It's good. Good leaders, good policy, those are good things. It's helpful. It's better, like, it's better that we have laws that, that do not oppress a people like we did back in you know, before the 60s and 70s, or prior to that, even like, it, it's good that we have moved beyond that, right? But, but to pretend that those laws dealt with racism fully is, is foolishness. Like, the, the, the racism is a heart issue, not a legislative issue. But it's better that we pass the laws, right? So this is what we're going to see in the next minute, because he's going to shift from, from looking at it corporately and nationally to looking at it personally. And one of the things he's going to say is like, hey, wisdom's better than folly, so I don't want to say, like, there's good that happens, but you just need to have right perspective about what policies and politicians and leaders and wisdom in general on a national level or on a political level or on a civic level, level what those things can accomplish. You need to have right perspective because we're going to continue to be frustrated until Jesus comes back and sorts us still out, okay? So that's, that's, he wants us to know that. So we're going to, look, we're going to come back and look at the first part of chapter two next week. So now he's going to go, okay, that didn't work. <laughs> he's like, I really tried to fix this country. <sighs> that didn't work. So he's going to focus on him. So the first part of chapter two, he's his pleasure. So we're going to look at that next week. Pleasure. He's going to try it all, whatever, whatever he wants. But that doesn't work either. So he's going to go on to, okay, maybe, maybe I was right with the wisdom thing, but I shouldn't be focusing nationally. Let me just focus personally. Let me just focus on living my life and not worrying about everybody else. So verse 12 of chapter 2 says, So I turn to consider wisdom and madness and folly. For, for what can man do who comes after the king? Only what's already been done. He's like, okay, if, here's what he's saying. If anybody's going to figure this out, it's going to be me. Solomon realizes that God has given him this gift. Solomon realizes that he's smarter than everybody, he's richer than everybody, he has more resources than anybody. So he's going, listen, if anybody's going to figure out what life's about, it would be me. Let me try. Let me try. So he goes, let let me give it a shot. What's, what's anybody going to do that comes after me? Like, they can't do anything greater than me. Let me go ahead and give it a shot. Verse 13, then I saw that there is more gain in wisdom than in folly. Okay? So he's like, okay, there, it is helpful. There, there's more gain in wisdom than in folly. Listen to this. As there is more gain in light than in darkness. He's going, it's better to have wisdom than it is to be a fool. Just like it's better to have the light on when you're trying to walk through a room. Right? Try to walk through a room in the dark. You're going to fall down. You're going to stub your toe. You're going to get angry at life. Right? You turn the light on. You're like, oh, my goodness. There's a sense of relief. It's better. He goes, yeah, it's better to have wisdom than it is to be a fool. Like, don't pretend that it's not. It's a good thing. It's like having a light on versus not. Verse 14, he goes on to say, the wise person has his eyes in his head, but the fool walks in darkness. So He says, wise people, like, they're discerning the world. They're learning. They're seeking knowledge. They have their eyes open. But the fool walks in darkness. I don't need to learn. I don't need to know. Like, just let me do what I want to do, right? And he said, no, no, there's wisdom. Like, you're going to have a better life if you do that. If you, you live the life the way that God laid it out, and like, even without Jesus, like, living out the Ten Commandments, living out his law is still a better way to live. That's what he's saying. It's like, it's a good thing, but it, it's not an ultimate thing. Why? Here's what he says. And yet I perceive that the same event happens to all of them. 
What's he talking about? <laughs> Verse 15. Then I said in my heart, what happens to the fool will happen to me also. Why then have I been so very wise? I said in my heart, this is also vanity. For of the wise, as of the fool, there's no enduring remembrance, seeing that in the days to come all will have been long forgotten. He goes, how the wise dies just like the fool. So I hated life. He goes, yeah, it was better. Like, if I'm just objectively evaluating, you know, my life, he goes, it was way better when I lived by wisdom. When I did the right thing, when I lived with integrity, whenever I, whenever I, I used, you know, my brain to actually think about my decisions rather than just doing whatever I want. That went better for me. But you know what? I, I looked over and I realized that fool who's never thought about a decision a day in his life. That fool who just does whatever, you know, whatever comes to his mind and pursues whatever, you know, um, indulgence he, he decides to go after, at the end of it, we're at the same spot. He goes, so why did I try so hard to be good? This is him throwing his hands up. What's the point? What's the point? Well, I, was, I lived really wisely. I did all that I could. That joker was an idiot. And yet we both end up in the dirt. He's frustrated. He's going, what, what is this about? Like, remember, he's looking at life under the sun. The point last week was saying, yeah, there's another perspective. It's over the sun, right? This is, this is personally. Now, we looked at corporately, we need a Messiah. Our, our, world, that's its great, our world's greatest need is Jesus to come and save us. Personally now, you're not going to figure it out. It's not about just getting a little bit more knowledge. It's not about just learning the next new thing. It's not about just, just, just getting over the hump of, of this self-discipline or this amount of money or, or this amount of success. You, you'll never get there. You'll never arrive. That's the whole point of Ecclesiastes. And even when you do, you still end up, like, you can't take it with you. There's no remembrance. So he's saying, like, this is what's frustrating. So what he wants us to see is in order to learn how to live well, because that's actually the point of Ecclesiastes. It's teaching us how to live well while we're here. But in order to do that, we have to go ahead and fast forward and realize where we end up. And when we realize where we end up, it's all in the same place. That then helps us realize how to, leave, how to live. That informs us. We get to reverse engineer our life knowing that it's, it's about eternity, that that's what really matters and not the present is only going to serve that purpose. And when we get that, then we can, then we can figure it out. So what, so what do we do? What do we do? Like, okay, so Jesus is going to take us out of this world, so I don't need to try to be better while I'm in this world. Well, no, that's, that doesn't make a lot of sense. I heard one writer coming in on this saying, like, if, you had a, if, if somebody handed you a nice, crisp, new $50 bill, it's brand new, very clear what it is, it's one bill, does that mean you would go ahead and throw away the 50 ones you got wadded up in your pocket? Well, no, right? Like, those are still valuable too, right? The, the Bible has purposefully included wisdom literature. It's, it's, it's put that in there on purpose. There's a whole book of Proverbs. This book, Ecclesiastes, it's all about teaching you, hey, there's wisdom out there. You don't have to live like a fool. You don't have to figure it out on your own. There's people who've gone before you, and, and they've given you this wisdom. They're, they're showing you how to walk. That, that's a good thing. So, no, you can lean in. You, can, you, you should pursue wisdom, the Bible says you're a fool if you don't. The Lord is, is eager to teach you how to live a better life. Like, that's a good thing. But you've got to have right the perspective. 
Because while it may make your life better, it doesn't mean it's going to make your life prosperous or immortal. Like, and there's a tension there, because some of the Proverbs seem to say, do this and you will be prosperous. But then we've lived long and go, like, I did that, and I, <laughs> ah, like, this is where we get frustrated. He's saying it's still better. When we have the right perspective, we figure out eternity is what matters. That's what we spend our life for. Now we realize, oh, it's okay if I want to go get the degree from this. Co- I was talking to somebody this week. Like, I got two college. Like, my boy's got two colleges to pick from. One, like, in this field he's going to, gives him a lot better chance at, at, at getting a good job. And this other one, it's 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 closer to home. It's different. Like, it might. But like, what should I do? Well, listen. There's wisdom in pursuing the one that's going to give you better opportunity. There's nothing wrong with that. But you have to have the right perspective. If you think that that opportunity and that amount of money is going to fulfill you, that's folly. But if you realize, oh, I'm here to live for eternity. So if God's given me a gift and an aptitude for this field and given me an opportunity to influence more people with this you know, degree or, or, or to live my life in such a way that I can do more for the kingdom, there's wisdom in that. I told you before about my friend who was a dentist, but he didn't, he didn't live in the wealth. What he did is he sent a whole bunch of money to missionaries his whole life. He, God put him here, sent him to dentistry school so that he could fund ministry. It's awesome. There's wisdom in that. So if you, if you think it's going to fulfill you, Solomon's going, no, no, that's an empty well. But if you go, oh, I can leverage that for the kingdom. Now my life here, it's not just about the kingdom. I'll actually enjoy my life better because I have right perspective about what that degree, what that money, what that position can give me. And I'm not devastated when it's taken away from me. You understand? Like that's the house on the rock situation versus the house in the sand. You're not devastated when it doesn't happen because you've got your eternity figured out. You know what actually matters. So how do we do that? I, I got I to move quick. But Solomon says the, fool walk, the, the wise walks around with the eyes in their head. The fool walks around with their, you know, in the darkness. They got their eyes closed. Uh, look elsewhere. Proverbs 9 uh, says this, that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. So you want to be the one with eyes in your head instead of in the dark? Fear God. In, in uh, contrast to that, it says in Psalm 14.1, the fool says in his heart, there's no God. So you want to be wise? Fear God. You want to be a fool? Ignore God. Like that's, that's really like boiling it all the way down. And, and that's what Solomon's doing is boiling it all the way down for us. Don't expect this wisdom to make you something that, that it can't. You're still going to be mortal. And when you realize you got to deal with a death thing first, that's going to lead you to have humility and realize you have a need for a Savior. Okay, so one writer is commenting on this. He says, why does the wisdom of God, why does this wisdom literature jar us from the joy of life? Why is it so harsh with that to the sober thought of death? Why is he taking us there and to the silence? The answer is easy. He says, too easily to be, actually, it could be overlooked, especially by the successful church of the Western world, forgetting that life is not about being as comfortable as possible, we've forgotten how to die, and thus we've forgotten how to live. Realizing, oh, life's not about being as comfortable as possible, actually teaches us, it keeps death in the forefront, teaches us how to live in the moment. First Corinthians 1, Paul says this, both to those who are called Jews and Greeks, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. Colossians 2 says this, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love to, to reach all the riches of full assurance and understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures and wisdom of knowledge. The ultimate pinnacle of wisdom is Jesus Christ himself, and he's gifted to us by 
God. So seek wisdom. You should, but have appropriate expectations about it. Utilize it for his glory, for your good, but have appropriate expectations about what it can give you. So the gospel redeems wisdom because it gives us perspective. You can use it to make a better life, but know that the life is still broken and it could still be taken from you. So you're not devastated when that happens. So, Paul tells Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter 3, he says, hey, continue in what you've learned, what you firmly believe, knowing that you've learned it from childhood and been acquainted with the sacred writings. So the Bible, so keep reading, like, the end of it is, get your nose in the Bible, get to know God, that will make you a wise person. Back to the justice conversation, we talked about this with the college students a few weeks ago. It says the evil people, they, they can't figure out justice, they try, but if you pursue God, you'll understand it all. You don't have to be an expert in critical race theory or an expert in this theory or an expert in that. Just know God. Know God and you'll understand justice. So Paul is telling Timothy this. He says, listen, you, you know about the Bible. Keep your nose there because these sacred writings are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. All scripture is breathed out by God for, and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete and equipped for every good work. Learn, read books, listen to TED Talks, listen to podcasts, do it all. But know that this is the ultimate authority. This is the thing that's helpful. This is efficient, right? This is sufficient, rather, for all that we need in life. So filter it through here. Get your nose in here, and you'll be set up to live life for the glory of God. Let's pray. God, help us. We need it, as always, to, to understand this tension between pursuing wisdom and understanding that it won't it doesn't get us the traction that we think we need in our flesh, but rather the gospel gives us the traction for eternity and informs us about how we should live in the present. This is confusing, Lord. Take my ramblings and, and even this hard book of your scripture and help us to see Jesus in it because that's the ultimate point of all your word is to point us to Jesus. And so I pray today that people would see Jesus in this space, in this room, as we sing a final song, that you would stir our hearts toward Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen.